What's going on guys, Coach Omarzini here with you, and welcome to the Pro GK Academy Goalkeeping News Podcast. I'm going to try and keep this as free-flowing as I can and just share with you guys my thoughts and opinions on the weekly goalkeeping news from all around the world. I'll be releasing an episode every Tuesday morning. That way we can break down the results and performances from the weekend, as well as give you guys my predictions for the upcoming weekend of games. Thank you guys for tuning in, and let's get right into it. Now let's start with La Liga, where once again the much-discussed Courtois move to Real Madrid was at the forefront of this weekend's discussion. A few Spanish outlets had said that Courtois would finally get his first start, which prompted goalkeeping fans to rush their TVs. But Madrid coach Lopetegui went with Navas instead. Navas went on to have a great game and made some big saves, solidifying his spot for at least another week. The La Liga cameras happened to pan over to Courtois after one of Navas' saves, and the look on his face was one of worry and confusion, and it has since gone viral. So based on another weekend of misleading news, what will happen with Madrid's goalkeeping situation moving forward? So at the end of the day, this is such a tricky situation, you know. I've enjoyed watching Navas play for Costa Rica and for Madrid over the past four years. He's made some big saves in big moments, but he's also made some pretty big errors in those big games too. However, so has Courtois. They play with completely different styles, but both are so effective at what they do, which has them in the discussion of the best goalkeepers in the world. So who knows what will happen? You know, there are so many narratives floating around these days. Uh, You know, Navas will play in all La Liga games and Courtois will get the cup games. Courtois will get every game. The coach is just waiting for Navas to make a mistake before switching it all up. And so many other stories like that. You know, I've only seen one other major team go through something like this and it work out for both players. In 2015, as we all know, Barcelona had Claudio Bravo and Ter Stegen and both played in their assigned games and both won trophies. But no matter how well it goes, the club must always pick one. And having paid £35 million for Courtois, it's looking like Navas will have to find a new home for 2019. Alright guys, let's switch gears to the Premier League now. I want to move on to Alisson's big performances against Crystal Palace last Monday and Brighton this past Sunday. And if you guys have already seen the highlights from the Crystal Palace game, you know, I'd really encourage you to re-watch them. But this time type in Alisson's distribution versus Palace. And I'm just going to warn you that some of these passes will probably give you a heart attack at first, followed by a major, major sigh of relief. You know, Alisson looked like a well-seasoned quarterback out there. He completed 23 of his 28 passes, and some of them were put into the tightest of spaces. Liverpool are at the top of the table with 9 points out of 9 and are looking like major title contenders as City slipped up against Wolves. Based on this small sample, is Alisson worth the hype? Okay guys, yes, Alisson is absolutely worth the hype and all the money that Liverpool spent. He was amazing for Roma, he was amazing for Brazil at the World Cup, and you know, he's got everything. He's a reliable shot stopper, he's a pretty good decision maker with crosses. But my only concern is that while he is good with his feet, he's too casual on the ball. And while he did put on a passing clinic against Crystal Palace, he also scared Klopp a few times against Brighton. You know, there were three instances in particular where I know my buddy Omar Trad, who's a huge Liverpool fan, he was definitely scared, he was worried, and it was too close for comfort. The first one was in the first half. Alisson was pressured on a back pass. He's nearly stripped, but gets the ball away. And, you know, the forward was so close that he got a nudge on him, and he pushed him pretty hard. Fell pretty hard to the ground. The referee had to call a foul. That's how close that one was. And the next instance, he does get stripped, but he's able to nick the ball away from the forward's feet, and they're a little bit off to the left side of the goal, so I guess it's not a danger zone, 
But still, you don't want your goalkeeper trying to dribble somebody out of the back and losing the ball in an advanced position for the offensive team. And lastly was there's a through ball that comes through in the second half. And he came out and the forward's coming at him full speed and he just chips it right over the forward's head. And, you know, for us as keepers and I guess people who are fans of the game, that is super cool. We love seeing it when it works out. And, you know, sometimes I guess... I'm not a fan of Liverpool, so I'm not really fully invested in it. So to me, I'm watching you know, a show, I'm watching a great game, and his mistake, even if they do score, doesn't really affect me. But I know for a fact Liverpool fans are on the side of caution now where they're walking that tightrope of, we like the flair, we like having a goalkeeper who can pull this stuff off. But at the same time, there are still remnants of, you know, Karius and Mignolet. So, you know, when uh, when asked about these plays, Klopp said, I have never had a Brazilian goalkeeper, so I guess I have to get used to it. And at the end of the day, you know, you can't really put a price on peace of mind that Alisson does bring for the team. However, he's still doing a few things that haven't gotten him in trouble yet. And I hope that Klopp can address it before he does do something dumb and gets punished for it and Liverpool drop a point that can prove costly in a title race. Now, let's get to the main story of episode 3, and that's Manchester United versus Tottenham, or De Gea versus Lloris. Now, before we get into the game, let's note that Lloris had himself quite a week. You know, on Friday morning, I was woken up by a text from ESPN that Lloris had been arrested and booked for drunk driving. Because of this, you know, we weren't sure if he'd play in the big game, nor were we sure if he did play what to expect from him. But he does end up playing, and what a game he had. He made two critical saves that changed the way the game played out. He got down well to his left in the 33rd minute to save a curling shot from Pogba to keep the game scoreless. Now fast forward to the 51st minute, Lloris was called upon again as he made another huge save to deny Lukaku his second goal of the season. He got down smartly with a strong left hand to preserve Tottenham's 1-0 lead. Two minutes later, Tottenham would go on to score their second and then a few minutes after that, their third. So instead of it being tied 1-1, Lloris' saves helped Tottenham to a convincing 3-0 win. Now, when you hear 3-0, that means we've got to talk about the opposing team's goalkeeper, which brings me to my breakdown of De Gea's performance. And, and I'm in a tricky situation here because I honestly can't look at any of those three goals and flat out say that De Gea should have saved that. However, I'm at the point now where defending De Gea has become pretty exhausting. And I'm not sure what's going on in Manchester United. I don't know if Marino still has a locker room. The players look very disinterested out there. There was nothing going forward. A lot of defensive lapses. And after the game, I don't know if you guys saw, but Mourinho is just, you know, applauding the fans that stayed. A lot of them did leave. He's applauding the fans that stayed. And then in the press conference, one of the reporters asked him a question about the 3-0 loss. And Mourinho puts up three fingers and says, yes, those are the three goals that we gave up today. But those are also the three fingers that account for every league championship I've won here in the EPL, which is two more than any other coach in this league has won. So I don't know what he's doing (laughs) with the team or what what he's at odds with with Woodward, but I think they're in turmoil and it's showing on the field. But again, with De Gea, he set the bar so high that we expect so much from him. And I expect a lot from him. You know, last year, he had a big game against Sevilla and leg one of the Champions League, uh, I think round of 16. And after that, I think a lot of us pegged him as the best in the world. Well, at least I did, and I think a a few of the pundits on TV did. But for some reason, this year, he's just, he hasn't been able to put it together. And people on social media, you know, have been calling me out for, you know, being a De Gea sympathizer and that I'm blinded from my admiration for him. And I know in my last podcast, I broke down how, you know, that statistic of 10 goals on 14 shots wasn't valid and, you know, uh, those weren't his fault. 
And to a certain degree, I still stand by that. But I feel like when I talk about De Gea in this instance or in this you know, segment, I feel like I need to clarify my points. Now, when discussing De Gea's situation and the current climate that it's in, I break it down in two ways. However, when I break it down, I don't want to sound like I'm contradicting myself. Because on one side, I am defending him when it comes to those misleading statistics that try to prove that he's either overrated or that he's a bum, which couldn't be further from the truth. And on the other side, I'm also criticizing him for his poor lack of form. Now, when I'm defending him, you know, I personally believe that he's being unfairly trashed with these misleading statistics that don't have the correct context attached to them. Like I stated in episode two of the podcast, I'm sure we've all seen the 10 goals on 14 shots graphic by now. That's a damning stat that's put out to pretty much undermine somebody and their career. But when you dig a little bit deeper, you see that those goals conceded weren't as savable as that graphic makes it out to seem. And that's my only defense of him on that front. However, while I do say that, I want to make it clear that I'm not absolving De Gea from any of the blame. He set the standard so high last season that I've come to expect a lot better from him. How he's been performing of late is just not up to par, and it's not acceptable. He hasn't looked like himself since the tune-up games for the World Cup. He made a costly mistake against Switzerland that led to a goal, and that game ended up in a tie. That then translated to the World Cup, where you'd think that someone of his caliber can make a big-time save, or you know save at least one penalty against Russia, but again, he doesn't. So when I defend him, I'm only defending him from the stats that don't offer proper context. But at the end of the day, someone of his talent has to show up, and he hasn't. Last year, he was in my top two in the world. But with his current form, he's not even in my top five. While I defend him, it has not blinded me to the facts. So that's kind of what I wanted to clarify for you guys. And hopefully that gives you a little bit more of an understanding of where I stand with this whole thing. And, you know, I personally hope that De Gea can string some good results here soon. But until then, he'll be off my list. All right, guys. And that's the end of the episode. If you guys enjoyed the podcast, please do me a huge favor and share it with your friends or teammates. And subscribe to our YouTube and Instagram channels at ProGK Academy. Until next time, my name is Omar Zini. Have a great day.